Good morning and Happy New Year. Awesome. Y'all are more awake than the 930. That's good. You got your coffee and your donuts going through you. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks out. It's always good to be gone, but it's also good to be back. It's like going on vacation. It's good to go, but then it's good to get home. You get to sleep in your own bed. You got your own little thing going on. So good to be back home with you guys. And as Natalie, we talked about, Natalie spoke last week, began our series core and this idea of what are our core values. And so um, you have core values. Uh, these are the things, the core values are the things that move you, they motivate you, they're foundational to you. You live out and you make decisions in life based upon your core values. And so you decided at some point, hey, I need to graduate junior high. That was a core value. At some point, you're, if you're a parent, you're instilling a core value in your children that if you want to eat, you got to work. You know, those kind of things. And so those are core values that are things that are dear to you and they move you and motivate you in life. And so not only do you have those core values in your personal life, but also as a church, we have some core values as well. And so obviously one of the core values is the Bible is central to what we do. And so Natalie last week opened that up and taught you a little bit, and hopefully um, you'll be a part of her class even coming up and, and kind of digging in on how you can study God's Word. I know sometimes God's Word seems overwhelming, but to have someone help kind of walk you through what does it look like to open up God's Word and read it and examine it and apply it and, and, and put it into your life. That's the beauty of God's Word is it's living and active, and as we study it, it transforms us. And well, Another core value for us is that people are important. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the core value of no perfect people are allowed here at Second and what that means and what that looks like and uh, to work through that. And so Jesus is also important to church, right? And so we'll talk about that as well. So these things, you get the idea. There's some core values that we hold dear to and they move us and motivate us. And when things, when we have to ask questions or deal with things as a church, we go back to our core values and say, who are we and why do we exist and what are we about? And so those are those things. Over the last few years, if you haven't noticed, in our culture, our cultural core values seeming to be shifting. And so we see it in news and all this, that there's this infighting and all this discussion going on. And what that discussion is, is what are our core values? As Americans, as people together, what do we truly value and, and what moves us and motivates us and the decisions that we make or how people vote or all these different things are based upon our core values. It's interesting to see that things have changed in culture. In the European church, in the European culture, less than 10% of Europeans now attend church on a Sunday morning. It's kind of radical, right? But here's the deal is that American culture is quickly behind them. Last year, about 9,500 churches closed last year in the U.S., and about 3,000 churches were started. So that means we're starting churches, but we're watching churches die as quickly as we're starting them. And so that means that we're not winning the game of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're losing ground. Some of that is because of our core value of the value and importance of Jesus to us. Although because of that, even in the midst of that, spirituality is at an all-time high. And you have people who are spiritually seeking, they're asking questions, but the last place that they're coming to ask some of the questions about spiritual seeking and truth is actually the church. They're going anywhere and everywhere else but Christianity. And so as Christians, we need to be aware of that. We need to be like, okay, what is this? Why is this? And in the old days, the question used to be, what is truth? And that question is still being, is still being asked, but it's being asked in a different way. 
We live in a postmodern culture where most have adopted this idea of absolutely no absolute truth. Right? No absolute truth, absolutely. And so there's, there's nothing that's absolute. Everything is great. Everything, there is no true core values for many people. It's whatever is right for you. And another thing on this side is churches generally are known for what we are against and not what we are for. And so we have presented ourselves in a negative way. And so why wouldn't people come to a place like this? Is because we're so much known for what we're against and what we're for. And so, again, that's one of our core values is what are we as Second Baptists? What are we for? What do we want to be known for? Now, America, we're wealthy, right, as, as a whole. We're a wealthy nation. We're the wealthiest nation ever in all of history. We love this idea of sexual freedom and whatever that is. We love our luxuries and the pursuit of personal pleasure and comfort. We love our entertainment, our sports, our celebrities. We tolerate unless we can't tolerate them. We'll tolerate everything, but there's a few people sometimes we can't tolerate. And so we've got that thing going on. And then in just a second, we're going to be looking at the book of Corinthians. And the city of Corinth was very much like America today. And so as Paul was talking to the city of Corinth and the area of Corinth. Think about America today. That's who he was talking to. That Corinth, they were wealthy people. They loved this idea of sexual freedom. As a matter of fact, their main place of worship was the temple of Aphrodite, and sex was a huge part of their worship. They were highly educated. They were in the center of the educational place near Athens. They were religiously diverse people. They were Tolerance was a highly valued thing of, of you know, you don't mess with me, I won't mess with you. This idea of we'll, we'll tolerate each other. Uh, personal pleasure and satisfaction was number one. And again, this idea of there is absolutely no absolute truth. As a matter of fact, there was a phrase going on in that day that they would, they didn't put it on t-shirts, but if they had t-shirts, this would have been the phrase of to live like a Corinthian. In other words, that that was the kind of the ideal of that day. If you wanted to live free and, and to be wealthy and to be kind of whatever, the, the live like a Corinthian was the phrase of the day. And so that's that mindset. And here Paul has started a new church in the city of Corinth, and you've got these new believers in this new church, and they're trying to figure out what are the things that are valuable to us. How will we have an impact? How will we have a spiritual impact on a city like this, on a community like this? And so Paul is all throughout Corinthians is talking about how they can be different, how they can flesh out what it means to be followers of Christ and to draw people into that community and not repel them. And that's the thing that we're asking here this morning is how can we be a community that's open to receiving everyone but also at the same time presenting the truth of who Jesus is and, and that hoping that that will change. And in Jesus' day, the question was, what is the truth? As a matter of fact, that's the very question in John 18 that Pilate presented to Jesus when he was about to put him on the cross. He said, what is truth? And that's the question that's been asked throughout the ages. And that question is still being asked, but it's asked now in a different way. They're not, people are not saying, what is the truth? People are asking the question, do I want to be like you? You proclaim to be a Christ follower. You've got the t-shirt. You give up your Sundays. You do whatever you do that, that identifies yourself as a Christian. And so people are watching and looking and examining you, and they're asking that question, do I want to be like you? Has the truth so invaded your life that you're different and there's something different about you that I want? 
They kind of see some things maybe, but they're investigating your life and our life to say, do I want to be like you? Because if that is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and it looks appealing, then I'm going to try it out. And I'm going to check this thing out. And there's no better place for someone to check out what it means to have a life that's transformed by Jesus than in a community where all people are allowed as we try to figure this thing out. As we move together, because this is a place where we understand, hopefully, that we're messy people. We haven't arrived, that we're messy people, and we've received grace, and we're working on offering grace. Because we understand, too, that our general natural tendency is that there's an us and a them. Not just Christians and non-Christians, but just wherever. There's an us and a them. But as we come to understand what it means to live under the grace of Christ, we remove the barriers. He has removed the barriers of us and them, and it's all us on a messiness journey and that there's this place that somewhere along the way that we understand that Christ receives us and accepts us as we are and we don't have to do anything, we cannot do anything to earn the right to have a relationship with him. And so that in a community like this where some have understood it and are working out and fleshing it out, people can see what it's like to live in and receive grace. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And let's look at what this idea is. Paul's talking to his church in Corinth, this idea of no perfect people allowed. Again, he's talking to a church community, and so here's what he says. Even though I am free because I'm in Christ with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, there are moments where I so want to engage someone in life that I'm willing to literally submit myself to serve them and to meet their needs so that they will see that this is what love looks like. That this is what grace looks like. That we remove the barriers of us and them and that there may naturally, someone would say, even Jesus tells the story of the good the good neighbor that someone is going along and he reaches out and it's typically people would have not reached out to that neighbor and Jesus said they did. That's the idea of us versus them is that we remove those barriers and do something and grace is shown in us by the way that we love and we reach across the aisle, so to speak. To love people that are not like us. Verse 20, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, so I could, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. In other words, I will do whatever is possible to serve someone so that they might see what grace is, so they might see what love is, so they might see that this person that I've said that I follow, how he has changed my life, and I don't care about any of those other things that society has said matter. Those things don't matter. The question is, are you human, and do I need to love you? And the answer to both of those is yes. Because I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do that. I want to receive that because I have received it. I want you to get a glimpse of what it looks like. 
So for a church, what is this idea of, of no perfect people? One of the questions that people ask all the time is, do I have to have it all together? No. How many of you have it all together? Okay, awesome. There's two or three of you. That's awesome. You're welcome. You've got it all together. Most of us don't have it all together. We've got mistakes. We've got stuff that we've messed up. And so we think at moments that we have it all together. And then guess what happens? There's another mess. And so we're actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we're in constant mess cleanup trying to do because we've been told that we should never have a mess and that actually that whenever you even do it at your own house, when you invite your friends over to your house, the people that know you best, what do you do? You clean up your mess because you have this idea of people have a different, they should have a certain idea of who we are and we have our life together. Whenever they know that they're glad that they're going to your house because you don't have to see their mess. And we get into this in religion and Christianity that we try to just clean up our mess because we don't want to deal with our own mess. We don't really want to invite people into our own mess. And so the people that should know us the best, sometimes we clean up and put on masks and costumes and pretend that we've got it all together. And so here's the first thing. That idea of no perfect people allowed is you could come here and admit that, man, my house this week, it was a tornado. My kids, my grandkids, my work, my spot when we just, it did nothing went right and we got mess upon mess upon mess and it's going to take some time to clean it up. It's going to be like 409 and gloves and masks and we got some serious work to do. There's weeks like that. That's no perfect people allowed. Do you have to have all the answers? No, you don't have to have all the answers. Here's the beautiful thing. If God is God, then we will never exhaust our opportunities to get to know him. We will never have all the answers. If we can have all the answers, then he's not God. That means he's insufficient. But if God is all-sufficient and all-powerful and all-everything, then there is no way in our finite minds that we could ever comprehend. So that means we will continually throughout life have the opportunities to learn more about God and experience more about God. And, and, And that is the beauty of the relationship with him is that as much as we lean into him is how much we'll be getting back. And we will never exhaust that. Sometimes people say, you know what, I've just made my mistakes are too big. And somewhere along the line, we've defined what too big of a mistake is. Whenever God says, listen, I have given my life for all. None of us are perfect and all of our stuff is big. If it keeps us, if we've messed up, if we've missed the target, the bullseye of the target, then that is a mess up and that is falling short of God's glory. All of us have huge mistakes in our past. No perfect people are allowed. In a true New Testament community, people are welcome to experience the messiness of community. And we are real with one another saying, look, this week I did not clean my house and you don't want to come over, but come over and eat anyway. I don't even actually, we'll just find something to eat. It may be pickles and crackers and cheese, and some of it may even have mildew we have to clean off. But, but we're gonna, that's what we're going to do. And that's what, true, that's what true community is. Is we don't have to be religious to clean up and to get things together. So the first thing about no perfect people allowed is this idea of we can have doubts. Do you have any doubts? 
As people of faith, there's moments where we have doubts. And somewhere along the way, we've been taught that faith and doubt are the opposite of one another. And when in reality, they're not. Doubts actually drive us deeper to seek and to ask questions, to find truth, to find value and meaning. And so it drives us deeper into our faith. And through those doubts, we actually gain more trust and more knowledge and more experience of who God is. In Mark chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus is having a conversation. This guy has asked something of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father who wants his child healed instantly cries out, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Does that sound like any of us? Listen, Jesus, I believe, but man, there's some things that, that, that you're asking of me, and I need you to help me in my unbelief because I, I can't in my humanness and my the lack of knowledge and trust. I want to believe, but God push me to believe even further. All of us have had and will have doubts because our knowledge is just... Our knowledge is just not going to be complete. We're not going to be able to handle all of it. Even think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who actually had a, a wonderful encounter with Jesus. John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came down, and there was an encounter there. And so John the Baptist and Jesus were together. And even at John the Baptist's end of his life, he sends a note through his disciples to Jesus, and he asks him this question. He says, are you really? Like, really, 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 are you really the one? Are you the Messiah? Yes, I know that I had this experience, but I want to make sure before I die, before I go, I want to make sure that I'm giving of my life and that you are really the one. Listen, if John the Baptist could have the experience with Jesus at his baptism that he did and he still had doubts, surely you and I will have some doubts. King David who experienced some incredible things with God, got to a place where he was kind of struggling, and he asked God, God, why have you forgotten me? Have you ever felt like that? Ask that question. God, listen, oh, listen, I'm doing this, I've been doing this, and I've been here's what I've been doing. And, things. and God, in the midst of this, it just kind of falls flat on my face. God, why have you forgotten me? David had that question. Surely we're going to have that question. And then David follows up and says, God, I don't know where you're taking me, but I will trust you because you've been shown yourself trustworthy in the past. Religious leaders sometimes think that they've even got it all figured out with certainty and still make bad decisions. Think about this. The people who knew the most about Scripture in Jesus' day are the ones that sent him to the cross. They were the ones that were with no shadow of a doubt. They knew that Jesus wasn't the Messiah because he didn't meet whatever requirements that they had set up for themselves. And they sent him to the cross of crucifixion. That there are, we are going to have doubts. We are going to make mistakes. We're not going to have it all figured out. And some of our mistakes are going to be huge. But in a place of grace, God says, I receive you as you are and we will continue to do life together, even in the midst of those doubts. Faith is trusting God, even in the midst of our doubts and our questions. We're going to have doubts. Jesus, this other idea of this thing is this idea of, will I ever get perfect? Will I ever have it all figured out? So in um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus deals with this question, and he's beginning his Sermon on the Mount. So it's his longest discourse, and there's hundreds of people that are listening. His disciples are there, and so he's talking, and he starts out this message, and he says to them, You are to be perfect, even as the Father in heaven is perfect. 
How many of you that have said yes to Jesus have reached perfection? We fail meeting that, right? By how we understand it. Now, this idea of perfection is the word teleos, which means completely lacking without anything and, and what you think of as perfect. That there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's whole. So God is perfect, right? It, the second part of that, it says, our Father in heaven is perfect. And on the first part of that verse, it says we are to be perfect. So there's this action. There's something happening that we're in process, all right? And so the beautiful thing is that when you say yes to Jesus, that you are made perfect in that moment and that God sees you as complete and whole in that moment. You're holy, but you're in the process of working it out. It's this idea called sanctification. And so you're working out what it means to be perfect. So think of it this way. Our natural tendency, when we think of, hey, I've got to be perfect, our natural tendency is we, we clean up, we put on the right clothes, we put on the right smell-good juice, we put on the right mask, we put on all the different stuff, and so we do the right religious things that maybe we've been taught or we heard about, so that when someone sees us, they think, oh, they're a good Christian, they know the right songs, they know all this different stuff, and so we do these things and we pursue this righteousness that we think that we're gaining. However... What Jesus is teaching in this passage is, is that this idea of wholeness is that we're to be seeking wholeness and completeness where we're increasingly experiencing this God Holy Spirit infused life that fills our souls in such a way that we do not need to wear masks anymore. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to exaggerate. We don't have to, uh, uh, to hide. And this is what we call true spiritual authenticity. In other words, you can sit in front of someone and say, I am Chris. Take off your mask. Take off the costume. Take off all the things that you think have made you righteous and say, here I am and all of my mess. Come over to my house. I'm not going to clean it up. Let's, let's just walk through my house and take a tour of my house. And these are the things that I struggle with. Who's who I really am. And that is what Jesus is talking about. He says, we are to be pursuing spiritual authenticity, that in that, we will find the true freedom that we are seeking, is that when we have some people we can do life with, and they can look at us and say, hey, there's Chris, and in the back of their mind, they're going, man, that dude's messy, but I love him. And isn't that what we want? That's what grace is, is grace is God has said, hey, I know you. And I'm giving my son for you. I'm giving every, because you are, doesn't matter your education, your ethnicity, all, doesn't matter where you came from, because you are you, you are worth it. He's removed that us, them label to move this idea of being perfect, spiritually authentic, not having to pretend and exaggerate and to hide. James 5:16, the brother of Jesus says it this way, confess your sins. This idea of sins is there's a target and you shot your arrow and you're shooting for the bullseye and you miss the target. So you miss the idea of perfection. You're messy. You've messed up. Confess that to each other and pray for each other. Why? So that you may be healed. You may be made whole. Here's the interesting thing about places where you've been hurt and you're healed. There's usually a scar. So you have a story to tell, but in the midst of that, there's healing. And so here what Jesus again is talking about, even his brother has grasped, is look, in the messiness of life, when we truly are doing grace-filled community, we're no perfect people, we're doing life together, I can confess to you, hey, here's my mess. And the other person says, 
I receive it. I accept it. I understand it. I still love you. In the midst of that, there's healing. There's true freedom. Because here's what we want, and Jesus knows it, God knows it, is we want to be known for who we truly are, and it is tiresome to pretend. And that's what wears down our souls. It's because even we come to church for years and we pretend we've got it all together to be perfect when our lives are messy. And instead of saying, listen, my life is messy, Jesus, come eat. I don't know what I got, but come eat. I need fellowship with you, and I need brothers and sisters. I need friends that want to come to a house like my messy house and not pick it apart. Authenticity means that you're living life in the light, that living in the light exposes the stuff. And so as you get exposed and you allow light to expose those different corners of your life and your house, it cleans it up. And there's pain in that because you see it. Sometimes we, we close things up and allow things to stay in the dark because we don't want to deal with them. But when we expose them to the light, life begins to happen. The other thing about no perfect people allowed is this, is I don't truly understand myself. There's, as we're growing and we don't even understand why we do the things that we do. Even Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, listen, Paul, if anybody could get it right and be perfect, it would be Paul. And Paul even says, listen, I'm trying to do the right things and I continually mess up. We're not going to be perfect. I don't know about you, but that's... Definitely me. I, we want to get it right. And, and one of the natural tendencies is when we're so messed up we can't put it together is we begin judging others. We begin putting on others' standards that we can't meet. And so we kind of do that in church. If you've been in church long enough, you've, you've seen this or heard this or been a part of it. Either you've been passing it on or you've received it. In Galatians 3.3, 3, Paul says this, How foolish can you be, talking to the church at Galatians, new Christians, after starting your lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? In other words, you're adding things that you have to do. You have to modify your behavior to do certain things so that you can be Christian. Now listen, I truly believe that as we encounter Christ and he enters into our heart, he transforms us and our appetites change and our vision changes. And so there are things that we do away with that are not necessary for our life anymore, but it's not a place of judgment. It's a place of us moving to that. But somewhere along the way, we've, we think that we've got to place judgment on the people when they're not at that place yet. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and following, Paul again continued this discussion with the Galatians. So... Christ has truly set us free. They've, they've found this spiritual authenticity of what it means to, to live in the messiness and find transformation in the midst of that. Now make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again to the things of slavery that, that bound you back to the law and this religious effort. You're free in Christ. Don't go back to some of the things that you religiously did. You don't have to do those things anymore. Find freedom in that. Jump down to verse 5 of Galatians 5. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, there's no us or them anymore. It's us. 
And do we want, do we, are we ready to jump in as we are into this relationship with Jesus and experience what it means to live life under the grace of Jesus Christ? Look at Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that in his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? Literally, his long suffering with our stupidity. That's really what that means. In his long suffering with our stupidity, he's waited for us, waited for us, waited for us, waited for us, waited for us. And somewhere along the way, it's like, duh, I keep doing the same thing, thinking I'm going to get different results. And Jesus says, listen, it's just grace. Quit trying to do it in your own effort. Just trust me. I've got it. About this, Romans fifteen seven, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given the glory. Again, removing us and them, and it's us together in community. There's a pa- pastor whose uh, his name's Gordon McDonald, and Gordon's been a pastor for about sixty years now. He's like eighty two years old, and uh, which is young, I hear. And um, at eighty two years old, and so he's actually still pastoring a little bit here and there. And I got to listen to a podcast from him the other day, and and talking about different stuff, but he's a great uh, writer as well, and so read some of his stuff. But here's one of the things that he said. The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You do not need to be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. Am I right? Very true. The only thing the world cannot do is it cannot offer grace. That's what sets the New Testament church apart is that we are a place of grace, or we should be. Christianity is, is one of those things that you, you can talk about your faith and you sit across from someone and you're like, man, Jesus, Jesus has changed my life. And, and, and what, the thing is you're saying to them, listen, the only way that you can experience what I've experienced is by saying yes to Jesus. Because I, I really, it's, it's almost impossible to put into words. When, when Jesus gets a hold of you, it's hard to express it. And the same thing is true with grace. Grace is something that you experience. And Philip Yancey even says that the only way that you can understand grace is when you've been graced. When you've experienced grace, you begin to like, whoa, this is cool, and it's freeing. And you want to offer it, and you want to receive it, and you never can get enough of it. What does it mean to be perfect? It's where a group of people are coming together and saying, listen, The only thing that makes us different from anyone else in this community is we've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that encounter with Jesus was so powerful is that I want other people to experience it. And that the only, if there's any us and them, it's that there's there's us, those out there that have not experienced what I've experienced and I want them to experience what I've experienced so that there can be an us, a bigger us, bigger band of army of reaching out and saying, I want you to experience freedom in Christ from the different things that are holding you down, that you don't have to wear masks and costumes and pretend and be wearied in your bones and in your soul to trying to finding freedom in life by what other people give you worth and value when it can be found as is in Jesus. That he'll come to your house, just invite him over, And again, you can have the messiest place. And he sits down in the midst of it. You may not even have a chair to sit. And he can sit down in the midst of it and say, welcome home. Isn't that what we want? 
May we be a people that offers that. If you've experienced this Jesus, may you be someone who's no perfect people allowed where you can sit in the midst of your own mess and join other people's messes and say, let's see how Jesus can transform our hearts and move us closer. One of the things we'll talk about over the next few weeks is, yes, no perfect people are allowed, but we can't stay here. It's not an excuse to stay where we're at. We've got to keep growing and moving. And so that's the struggle, that's the tension that we live in. Yes, we're messy, but as we grow and we move, there should be corners of our house where light has been shown and that mess is, is cleaned up and we understand and we get rid of that mess, not just because we don't want the mess, but because we don't need it, because we found freedom in Christ. So let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you so much that you see us and you say yes to us, that you love us. You see the messiness of our houses and our hearts and our minds and our souls. And you said, I love you anyway. And you gave the greatest gift in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that each one of us in this place, as we deal with that question, of what is truth? Am I someone that as people is, are looking at me, do they see someone who is striving, not perfect, but is striving to be authentic and to live under Jesus' grace, that we're offering it, that we're loving? Father, I pray that this church has known what it's for, not what we're against. Father, we're for LaGrange, we're for Fayette County, we're for Weimar, we're for Schulenburg, we're for Columbus, we're for LaGrange ISD and Fayetteville ISD. We're for all of those things because you're for them. For God so loved the world that he gave. Father, that is our mantra. For God so loved that he gave, Father, that we want to be people that you so loved us that we give as well. We give of our lives and our hearts and our minds and our souls and our gifts and our talents so that just one, maybe just one, will encounter the grace and the truth, the transforming grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you've offered us. May we offer it to others as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.